ask you to turn in a moment to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to spend some time there in a few moments. You have been looking at the area, I understand, the last few weeks of prayer. We're going to, in a few moments, talk about one of the areas in prayer that can actually cause a little tension in a child of God's life as we interact with our Heavenly Father in this transparent communication called prayer. And there's one aspect of that, if we don't grasp from Scripture um, correctly, can cause us some tension, uh, can cause us to misunderstand God as we react to Him on a daily basis. And that is when we pray and come before God with an absolute honest request with, with, with a sincere heart and pure motives, uh, and, and for some reason it seems like just nothing is coming back towards us. Uh, and we come before God and cry out sometimes on a just consistent basis. And, and, and from all appearance, it, it just feels like God is silent, uh, that he just is choosing not to respond to us. Uh, and if we don't understand how that works and what may be going on there, uh, again, that can cause some real stress in our walk with God. So we're going to look at that because Scripture is incredibly relevant. Uh, and, and there's a passage in the life of Jesus Christ when that happens. It's found in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, and so we'll see how uh, he reacted, how a, a woman reacted towards him, and, and how that can help us in our spiritual journey. Let me start by asking you just to bow your head just for a moment. Well, I've just found when I come before God to hear his word, if I can just take a moment and let God's spirit settle my heart, uh, I tend to get more out of it. So let me ask you just take one moment and just kind of get quiet between you and God. Whew, nice deep breath. Yeah. It may have been a busy morning. It may have been a hectic morning. Maybe a thousand things to do this afternoon. Uh, but God, just for the next few moments, would you just quiet my heart and quiet my spirit? Father, take away anything that would compete with you right now. Father, I need that. Um, I need to hear from you. We hear so many messages uh, from so many different directions as we travel through life that are at times overwhelming. Some of them we know are not from you. Some sound very similar as to what you might be saying to us. And so in the quietness of this moment, we need for you to just um, capture our hearts, help us to lose anything that would compete with your Holy Spirit in the next few moments as you speak to us. And Father, would you speak to each one of us the exact word that we would need to hear, whether it's encouragement or our direction or whatever it may be, Father. As only you can, would you take your word speak to our hearts. We trust in your word. We trust in the presence of your Holy Spirit. May we have um, hearts that are clean before you as we listen. May we have a spirit of surrender and trust as we listen to your word this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the key to Matthew chapter 15 may be found all the way back in Isaiah chapter 55, which will be on the screen. Yes, there it is. That's always nice when it works. Here's here's an interesting observation that, that the prophet makes years ago before we look at the life of Christ in Matthew 15. Here's what God says. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. Your ways my ways, says the Lord. And then he gives this contrast. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's an amazing contrast. Oftentimes in the Christian faith, we think, you know, God will do things the way I do things. He just does it a whole lot better, like perfectly. But really, God really would approach life as I do. Isaiah said, well, not really. God says, in the contrast, as the heavens, and notice the plural, 
that, that is the heavens that we can see and the heavens, all the heavens that are out there, and we can't find the end of them yet. So God draws this massive contrast as the heavens are higher than the earth. And what God says to us is most of the time you have no clue how I'm working, at least as the depth of the plane, how far advanced my thinking is. That God gives us glimpses of how he's working. God gives us enough information to guide our faith. But oftentimes God says to me, you really have no idea what I'm doing in your life. You have no idea what plane I'm working at, what I'm aiming at. I can think of many times in our spiritual journey when things have happened that, ex- that were expected and things that have happened that were unexpected, usually the latter one. And I think, oh, I know what God's doing. And when all is said and done, I missed it by so much it was crazy. I had no clue what all God was thinking. All God said is, here's the next step, follow me, I'll let you know when you get there. And when, we, when it was all said and done and we look back, it's like, wow, God, I was thinking so limited and so small, and you had this incredible plan that you were working that I really did not see all of it. And that is a, a significant observation by God when it comes to our lives. He says, I work on such a higher plane than you do. I work at such an advanced level that I invite you to my faith to follow me. I give you enough information to know what to do. But the truth is, in most situations, initially, Daryl, you have no clue what I'm up to when I start that work in your life. Matthew chapter 15. Well, this is one of those stories about Christ that we tend to read quickly because there are some scenes in here that can trouble us. They really challenge our view of Jesus. So it's really important for the next few moments you stay with me through this message. He went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region. She cried out to him. This would be a typical day in the life of our Lord. He is a, he's on the road. He's traveling. If you look at the life of Christ, he's always surrounded by this massive crowd of people. Diverse cultures, diverse personalities, diverse occupations, diverse motives. And he's always surrounded by this massive amount of people who needed something. I remember one time in the Gospels, a woman came up behind Christ and touched his garment. And she was healed, and Christ said, who touched me? And Peter said, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. So Christ was always surrounded by this throng of people in need. In the midst of that scene, the Bible focuses on one woman, a non-Jewish woman from Canaan. And she cries out to Christ. So this whole scene stops, and it's focused on him and her, and she cries out to him. And she has this incredibly appropriate approach. Have mercy on me. And here she recognizes her unworthiness. Lord, I, I'm not even worthy to come for you. Just have mercy on me. Oh, Lord, that, that's his place in her life. This is Curios. You're my master. You're my Lord. Son of David. And now she recognized from the Old Testament, hey, you're the promised Messiah. This is a great way to start a prayer. <laughs> this is a perfect way to start a prayer. I am unworthy, you are my Lord, and by faith I know that you're the Messiah promised the lineage of King David. And, and as you see here, her need is completely legitimate. She says, my daughter, so this is a parent, praying for her child. My daughter is severely, and I always read that and think, wow, I would think demon-possessed is bad enough, amen? <laughs> she is severely 
and I'll make no comments about teenagers at this point. It just wouldn't be appropriate. But my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, if you're hearing your parent, your child's ever been sick, you can identify with the agony of this woman. Because nothing is more frustrating or emptying to a parent than have a child who's sick, and you can't do anything about it, and they're sick and don't know what's going on. You even feel more helpless. And here's a mom, a follower of Jesus Christ, one of his, who stops this crowd and says to the Lord, I've got a significant need. My child, my daughter, as any parent would say, the one I would gladly give my life or trade places with, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. This is the ultimate act of intercessory prayer. There is no selfishness here. There is no impure motive. There is no trickery like he had with the Pharisees and so forth. This is a mom praying for her child. And so the next line in the Bible is a little bit troubling because Matthew says, Our Lord answered her not a word. Boy, I don't challenge your view of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, and we're going to find in a moment as he responds, he heard what was going on. It's like he was so busy he missed it. He, he, he tracked with every word that she said. He heard her, her, her great approach, <laughs> her legitimate need, he heard all of that. This is a choice on his part. He chooses to remain silent. He chooses to not respond. I'm guessing he looked at her and, eh. All of a sudden, Scripture becomes really relevant. Because many of us have experienced that. We come before God with absolute, honest prayer. We say the right words. We mean it. Our prayer is not wrong. It's not selfish. It's even intercessory. And we're like, okay, God, bring it on. And there seems to be this silence. And so he chooses to not respond to her. What a challenging moment in her life. She does what you expect a desperate parent to do. Because he doesn't respond, it appears from the next line in the Bible that she goes to those who are closest to him. Let's turn that up. And so I don't know what happened between those two verses, but she goes to the disciples, and they go to Christ, and they go, send her away. (laughs) She cries after us. In other words, she's bothering us. She's pestering us. It's not, hey, Jesus, this woman has legitimate need, her child's possessed. It's, Christ, would you tell her to leave us alone? That's kind of rough. Amen. I like it. (laughs) And so she's come before Christ with this absolute honest prayer. He has chosen to not respond. And those who have closest access to him have no compassion, it appears, and simply want her out of their face. And out of their life. Which makes what we're about to read. Let me get get one more verse here. So he says in verse 24 to them. He's not speaking to her yet. It sounds like she's there. You don't get the impression that she's gone anywhere. So the implication of she's there is this going on. And so he says to them, 
Was I not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Have you noticed that our Lord loves teaching moments? Have you found that out in your spiritual journey yet? He just loves teaching moments. And here with the disciples is a teaching moment. And what he's saying to them is, hey, wasn't I just sent to help the Jews? Now, he wasn't. Before this, he'd ministered to many non-Jews. But, but in their life, this is a great moment because these men were raised to be kind of prejudiced. They were raised that Messiah was a Jew-only type person. So here's a chance for him to talk to them about maybe some issues in their life. And so, hey, hey guys, wasn't I just sent to help Jewish people? Which, for them, is a great teaching moment. With her, that would almost appear to be a discouraging statement. Because if that is true, then the implication of Christ is, I'm not going to help a Canaanite. Hey, guys, I was just sent to the Jews, right? Which, as she's listening, that's not, that's not the response you want from the Messiah. But look what's going on so far. He's chosen to not respond to her. They don't want her around. And the only thing he said so far doesn't sound real good for her daughter. Which makes the next verse in the Bible one of the most amazing verses I've ever read. And so what does she do? She worships him. Wow. (laughs) She worships him. That's impressive to me. I hear a lot about unconditional worship. You just saw it right there. I will confess to you that most of my worship to God is real conditional. (laughs) If I've had a great week, if the bills have been paid, if the boss has been all right, if the kids have been manageable, I'm in the car, music up, and our God's an awesome God. But the bills aren't paid. (laughs) The boss has been a boss. The kids have been one element short of possessed. (laughs) Well, I tell you, the music's... ah, I probably listen to talk radio. (laughs) This is amazing to me. What I learned from her is that in her estimation, regardless of how God reacts, He's God, and because He's God, He's worthy of worship. And I find this an absolutely amazing response on her part. That as Christ has ignored her, as the closest ones don't want her around, she's a bother. As it appears from first statement, he's not going to do much about her daughter. He looks down. She's on the ground. You're an awesome God. Please help me. So finally, finally, he speaks to her. Here's the first words he says to her in this entire scene. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What? (laughs) That's the first word she hears directed to her from our Lord. She's on the ground, worshiping. Lord, I need your help. And he goes, it's just not good to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. By the way, that could have been very inflammatory words. 
Because one of the words that Jews had for Canaanites was dogs. And that could have been, there's a word in there that could have really set her off. She just stormed off. He's prejudiced, and, and, but she doesn't. And, and so his response to her, to us, is like, man, that's, that's a bit troubling. That's a bit uncomfortable. And so she says, yes, Lord, amen. Perfect answer. You're right. Man, you couldn't have said it better. I agree with you entirely. Who would think of doing that? Unless it's our house and our dogs, but that's a different story, all right? Yes, Lord. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And so, what a strange dialogue. Why, you wouldn't take the children's bread with the dogs. Well, you're right. Who would think of doing that? But the dogs eat the crumbs. What a strange conversation to attract. But boy, I tell you, that answer right there impressed the Lord. Because finally, finally he responds the way you expect him to. He finally says, woman, oh woman, great is your faith. And so finally, what you expect in the first verse that we read takes place. He looks and says, oh woman, by the way, which is a title of respect. That is a statement of value in, her, in their days. That is elevating her. He is showing her honor and respect and deference. He's, he's not degrading her in this crowd. He's lifting her up. Oh, woman. Great is your faith. The word great there is the word magos. It describes the greatest amount of whatever it is you're talking about at that moment. So he says to this woman, great is your faith. What he's saying is of this entire crowd here, of these Pharisees and these Sadducees and these Roman soldiers and these disciples, no one in this entire crowd has as much faith as this obscure woman from the land of Canaan. And he elevates her value, O woman, and he exposes her great faith for everyone in that crowd to see. And then he heals her daughter. What a bizarre scene in the life of our Lord. What a bizarre conversation. What a relevant passage for us. First of all, I see some things that she did that impressed the Lord. And I always like that. I think there's something very attractive about impressing the Lord. I mean, he's done so much for us. It would be nice to do something. He goes, yeah, that's really awesome. I, I'm impressed by that. So I see three things she did, and then we'll talk about the one area that can cause some tension. We touched on this. I think he was completely impressed by her unconditional worship. He seemingly ignores it, but obviously he saw it. And later on we see he was incredibly drawn by that. There is something that has to be refreshing to God. When we can say to God, it doesn't matter how you've treated me lately. It doesn't matter what you're doing or you're not doing lately. It doesn't matter what you're doing that I understand and what you're doing that I don't understand. You're God. You are God. And regardless of your actions or inactions in my life, Because you are God, that alone deems you worthy of worship. 
So God, I come before you, regardless of what's going on and not going on in my life. And I just want you to know, I truly worship and adore and admire you. As I confess to you, I tend to be guilty of conditional worship. I believe God is incredibly impressed when I engage in unconditional worship. The second one, I believe, is what probably impressed him most. This was the faith. What a great response on her part. He said, you would not take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. She says, Lord, I don't need a bread-sized chunk of your power. I don't need you to take from someone else to give to me. I just need a crumb of what you got. I don't need all of what you got. You're God. It's not like your power is so limited, you've got to take some some to give to another. You're, you're God. Your power is unlimited. I don't need a bunch of your power. I just need a crumb. Now, that's faith. Because her daughter was severely demon-possessed. She's like, I don't need the massive power of God to take on this demon. A little will do. You're an infinite God. Your power supply is not limited. Just a little bit of what you got takes care of every need in my life. That's faith. That's a woman who understood the power of the Messiah. That I don't need a bunch of what he's got. Just a little. And she said, you know, she teaches us that a little bit of God's power... Will go a long way in our lives. And then finally, at number three, I think he was impressed by her refusal to go to other places. <laughs> I mean, because we saw early on he's ignored her. We saw early on they didn't want her around those closest to him. We saw early on in his initial response to the disciples that doesn't sound like. He didn't do much to help her. But where does he find her? On the ground, worshiping him, Lord, help me. I think what she was saying to him is, I'm not going anywhere else. If you don't need meet my need, my need will go unmet. You're the source of answers in my life. You're the place I'm seeking. You're the place I'm looking to. I'm going to wait for you until you reveal your will in my life, and I'm not going anywhere until you do. I'm not going to the TV, the latest book, the radio, or do my own stuff. I'm staying right here because you're the place in life I find direction. Remember what David said? He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I'm not looking for another one. (laughs) I found my life shepherd, I'm locked in on that one. Even when he doesn't respond the way I think he will. Even when he seems to ignore me. Even when it sounds like he's doing nothing about my problem, I am not going anywhere. I'm staying right here, Lord. I am before you worshiping you. I'm just going to cry out with my need until you see fit to respond. Now, what's that area that can cause tension? 
Let me say it this way. I think in the Christian faith, our belief that God can do anything is not that impressive to God. I think even most people who don't know God figure, well, if there's a God out there, he can probably do anything he wants to. I think the faith that impresses God is when the God who can won't. When the God who can won't. God can take care of my problem just like that. God can send $500,000. God can, God, God can do anything. That can be a tension in the believer's life. If we'd be honest. We can before God, and we know God can do it. God, you can just send the right person. You can do the right thing. You can, you can soften my mortgage company's heart. <laughs> He's God. But I think the faith that impresses God is when the God who can do anything doesn't move in our life in that area. And we say to God, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep worshiping you. I'm going to keep seeking you. And I think Isaiah clues us into what's going on. I think all I can say to God by faith is you must have, you, you must have a greater plan going on there. You must be doing a work that is beyond my comprehension. When God is silent, Satan tries to tell us God doesn't love us. That's a lie. When God is silent, sometimes we assume God does not care. We know that is not true. So it must be that when God is silent, that God is working on a higher plane, that God's got a greater purpose and a greater plan because God loves his children passionately. He would only be silent to us if there's a greater plan in the future as we see in this woman's life. He could heal the daughter right away. But they would never have exposed her faith. They would have never encouraged us this morning. And by waiting in her life, he received more glory greater on, later on and enhanced her witness to others. So in my life as a believer, when I come before God in prayer and my need is legitimate, and my motive is right. And silence is the response. Now I've got to say, God, I have faith. I have faith that you work on a higher plane. I have faith that your ways are so far beyond my ways. That while I cannot see what you're doing now, I know that one day I will look back with full understanding of why you chose to be silent in my time of need. You know, it occurs to me that sometimes those areas that that happens in our lives are very personal areas. Sometimes they're areas that we carry with us for years, and sometimes the body of Christ even gets tired of hearing about it, like the disciples did. But God says, I am present, and I know what's going on. And God says to us through his word, if you will just, if you will just keep seeking me, if you will not check out on me, if you will just wait... The plan I have down the road will bring me more glory, God says. Will enhance your witness to others. 
will do so much more for my kingdom if you'll just wait on me now to reveal my will later. And that is so much easier to preach than to do. Amen? Can we bow our heads, please? Father, I have no idea what's going on in the lives in this room. I don't know if people are guests today, are, 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 are attenders faithfully of this family. I don't know the financial stresses, the, the stress with family members, marriages, whatever it may be. But, Father, I am relatively sure all of us have significant needs. And some of them you seem to respond so quickly to. And some you seem to take your sweet time. Father, in those second areas, help us not to become impatient. Help us not to draw wrong conclusions about you. Help us not to give up on you as we wait for you. Father, we pray for encouragement and we pray for affirmation. And Father, we pray for the faith that we would worship you and cry out to you. And then, Father, one day when you finally move in that area in our lives, we will give you the glory and the praise and gladly tell others about how you have worked in our life. And what at times is a very personal and painful area. Help us to be a people that have the faith that impresses you and witnesses and ministers to others and draws them to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.